We're walking out today. We're walking out today. that resonate with anybody <laughs> and you're like whoa I didn't know that was still in there and I think what happens is that when God reveals those things to us it's not to keep us dismayed or fearful it's to position us in a place for growth because how many of you know you can't grow until you realize you need to grow right and so God is positioning this body of believers and you as individuals, and he's positioning you and putting you in positions to grow. In order for that to happen, you have to drop that you think you already know. Okay? This is why uh, the old adage, fools rush in where angels dare to tread. I, I want to say that that is false. Because Jesus is always saying the fool is right and the one who claims that he's wise is wrong. It's why Jesus says, if you're going to come to me, you've got to come to me like a wise, prudent professor. Now it says, when you come to me, you're going to have to come to me like a child. And the structure or the status of, of the day was that, sorry, these kids don't get to rush in here and, and, and come and mob Jesus. Uh, and so the disciples try to do God a favor. You ever try to do God a favor and keep people away from him? But see, that's what religion does. Religion's always thinking of a roadblock to keep you from the presence of God. It always is. It, and it'll come up with some good things to keep you from that presence. And when we settle into these mindsets and don't step into new territory, we stay stagnant and we don't grow anymore. And so all we end up doing is warming up a pew and being critical of everything that happens within the church. And I want to say, get off the bench and get involved and do something. How about that? How about that? Yeah. yeah D.L. Moody, somebody came up to D.L. Moody and said, I don't like how you do altar calls. And he said, well, I don't either, but it's the best I can come up with. How do you do it? <laughs> well, I don't even witness. Yeah. We have to position ourselves like these children and say, Jesus, I'm rushing in. I got no business there. I don't belong there. But you know what? I'm coming in and I'm rushing in. And to have this singular type focus 
where our perspective is changed, where we're not satisfied unless we have encounter with Jesus or unless we walk in a greater anointing or in a greater power or we walk in a deeper relationship with him. That's got to be our utmost priority. That's got to be our utmost uh, desire. That's got to be the passion that drives our life because if that's not, we'll serve lesser virtues and lesser things that are even good, but they're not the ultimate thing in which God put us on the earth to live. So when we become singular focus, that's why the Bible says that, 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 that the eye is the lamp of the body. And if that eye is, is, is singular, if it's, if it's focused in on one consideration, then suddenly everything else in life makes sense. Jesus would be the lens to which we need to view every single thing in our life. That we would look through that eye and that singular purpose where my job is looked through the lens of Jesus. Where my family is looked through the lens of Jesus. Where my extracurricular activities are looked through the lens of Jesus. To where Jesus is the ultimate consideration in everything that I put my hands to or that I'm involved with. Not too much, Jesus? It's <laughs> too much Jesus in here. Okay. That when we have this singular focus, suddenly life becomes simpler and meaning gets uh, placed even in the mundane places of my life. So Jesus puts us in these unique positions, right? Because we want to say like, there's moments that I think I'm loving well, right? And I'm doing things well. But then Jesus comes back with this truth, love your enemies, And then I realize I've not arrived, <laughs> right? But that's not to put me in a position of inferiority or a position of feeling guilty. That's an invitation through that command to reach out and press into the grace of God for that to become a reality in my life. See, we viewed, here's what the religious does. The religious spirit views commands as barriers to keep me away from God because he's so good and so holy. Jesus gives commands as an invitation to say, yes, you haven't measured up yet, but I've got grace for that and I'll bring you in on a journey so that that might be a reality in your life. So some of us have not felt good enough and we've created barriers for ourselves to keep us from pursuing God because we're still beating ourselves up about something that happened uh, last week, last year, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it might be. And so these commandments we feel are barriers that keep us from God or keep us in our seat or keep us living dominated and manipulated by fear and the opinions of other people when Jesus is saying, no, that command is just a benchmark that I'm setting that I'm calling you too. That God's commandments are an invitation. Thou shalt not lie. I guess God will give me grace to not be a liar. Thou shalt not have anything else other before me. God says, I'm giving you grace that that might be a reality in your life. And that you would get into the process of pursuing. So what I've found is, is that some of the barriers in my life are things that I've put there myself. 
And like I said, Jesus is trying to create a new benchmark. He's wanting to be the greatest, uh, the greatest pursuit, the greatest joy of your life. So like one time, I'll just give you some, this is just some personal stuff. One time I, I hadn't been saved very long at the time. And, and so sometimes the Lord would just wake me up in the night and I would just pray and just seek him and say, God, what are you, what are you, what are you waking me up for? And I would get in the word and just kind of spend some time, spend some time with the Lord. And in doing so, one time he told me, he said, this is going to sound weird for some of y'all, okay? I'm going to let y'all in. Can I trust y'all? Okay, I trust you, okay. So the Lord said, go outside and scream Jesus as loud as you can. (laughs) Sounds easy enough. But have you ever stood outside at 2 a.m.? And scream Jesus as loud as you ever could. See, I didn't realize how bound up I had become. And I didn't realize how much fear I had because even in the dark by myself at an hour when nobody was watching, I struggled to say it as loud as I could. So what's God doing there? Drawing me out of my comfort and setting new benchmarks. Because I bet you, some of you have shouted louder at a Razorback game than you ever have for Jesus. Some of you have cussed out your spouse louder than you've ever let out a praise for Jesus. (laughs) Come on. But Jesus says, no, I'm not content with that being your benchmark. That the loudest praise and the most devoted you've ever been and passionate you've ever been has been in a fight or been in something evil or on a bar stool over some game you watched. I'm calling you to a place where I'm the benchmark and I pull down the benchmark of the world and the benchmark for me is the highest consideration in your life. So I went outside and I wrestled with that. But the Lord was showing me, you know, just because you're doing the right thing and you've quit doing some sin habits doesn't mean you have arrived. Just because you're holding down a job and and being consistent and being a good little everyday American doesn't mean you have set the benchmark that Jesus wants to call you into in your life. And so what he wants to do is reveal these different fear things. He wants to reveal. And where these places of fear are is the very place where Satan has set up his stronghold to keep you from the treasure that he has for you to inherit in your life. So if he can keep us running from that thing, right? We'll never access into the deepest place of healing, the deepest place of anointing, the deepest place where God wants to call us into our life and to make him the new benchmark and the greatest consideration of everything that we do. So now, when fear comes up, I don't run, I strategize and say, what's the map to the treasure? If the enemy's trying to keep me from there, what in the world is on the other side? Yeah. So now when it comes to fear, I know that 
every other time, because if you've got a history with God, you can go back and you can look at some things. That's why you need to have a history with God. You need to have some, some, uh, some, some bearskin rugs on, on your wall. You need to have some deer heads, uh, de- demonic deer heads on your wall where you can go back and, and look at some of these things. And it takes some history, but here's what I've found. What I fail to confront will never change. And some of us, we're just, we're just scared to confront it. When half the battle is what I found is just showing up. That this is the place where God wants to bless us in the place where there's fear. So fear is always an opportunity for faith. So fear now becomes an opportunity that I can walk in something in the supernatural power of God that I can't do in and of myself so that I can know I can trust him further and trust him more and more and more and more. So, so fear now becomes an opportunity instead of a limiting speed bump that's stopping me from getting to where I'm going. And that's the two realities that I've noticed. Fear and faith are both prophetic. They both have not just connotation for today, but for tomorrow. So if I walk in fear, I'm now projecting onto the world and onto my life everything through the singular lens of fear. So now I'm creating and fortune telling and creating my own futures based upon a lens of fear. And here's the reality. The thing you feared the most hardly ever happens. Right? And then you settle into habits and mindsets like Murphy's Law. If it's going to go wrong, it's bound to happen wrong. That's not true because it could always be worse than it actually is. Right? So fear gets us into mindsets, into different, different things that we view everything through that lens. And so fear predicts the worst case scenario in every moment that I'm in in my life. So if I'm viewing things from a lens of fear, there's no room for faith. Because those are two realities that can't live together. They just can't. They can't live together. Now when I'm viewing everything from a lens of faith and trust in God, suddenly every moment that I step into, I'm now projecting and prophesying the best case scenario in everything that I walk into. Is that going to happen every time? No. But guess what? It happens sometimes. And the more I walk in it and the more I believe in it and the more that begins to become my default and my mindset, suddenly every place I enter into becomes a place of potential and not a problem. And some of us aren't viewing things through the lens of Jesus, especially when it comes to our enemies. Because when Jesus saw an enemy, you know what he saw? Somebody he was going to die for and a possible convert. When you walk into a place of enemies, what do you see? If you operate in fear, I can tell you what you see. (laughs) You see people that are standing in front of you that are keeping you from the thing that God has for you. As if God couldn't do it without them in the way. So see what happens? Fear then puts me into a place where I honor something more than God. 
Fear now has me in a place to where I'm worshiping and living under a different ethic than the kingdom of God ethic. And now my lifestyle is living in this other kind of way. And now I'm projecting all that onto the earth. And so guess what happens when you look for something? You find it. That's the problem with looking. Is when I'm looking, I always find what I'm looking for. But God isn't calling us to look. God's calling us to see. Come on. Yeah. Felt like a round of golf in here. Come on. Got a couple rows with me anyway. Work through this thing. That the place in which I'm viewing things when I'm operating in fear is a false reality that I'll always find what I'm looking for, okay? Now, here's what seeing is. Seeing is waiting to be shown. Most of our live our life by looking and prejudging. You know what that is? That's what Adam and Eve did. Give me the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'll figure out good and evil, and I'll look through things and see them how I want to see them. But guess what they did? They looked at themselves and said, I'm naked. (laughs) What did God say? Who told you you were naked? In other words, they were looking, but that wasn't the reality because God didn't see them naked. That the covering was for their sake, not for God's in dealing with them. See, they were looking, but God was seeing. So when we come into a place with God where we say, God, help me to see. In other words, I'm going to wait for you to show me what's really going on here. Now we start operating by what gives God great pleasure, and that is faith. It's the only entity that pleases God. Can you believe that? Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For anyone that comes to God must first believe that He is the highest consideration and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Man. People say, I ain't coming to God. Look how... I'm scared he'll mess my life up. And then I look at their life. I'm like, what are you talking about? God's going to mess my life all up. It's like, well, buddy, you're doing a pretty good job of it yourself. Seems to me that he's the one that puts order to things. My life's never been better. I've never been more at peace and more comfortable in my skin. Why? Because I quit looking and I started seeing. I started seeing myself the way he sees me, not the way I look at my own self, but the way he tells me I should perceive myself. That I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That I've been knitted together in my mother's womb and that he's got a purpose and a plan for my life. All these things are realities that he's calling us into. 
but I'll keep living in fear if I choose to reject to walk into his commandments and his paths and the grace that he has for me to walk these things out. If I continue to, to refuse those things, then I'll only walk like Adam and Eve did, and that is with the knowledge of good and evil. Here's the problem when you think you've got the knowledge of good and evil. You begin to become a judge. And that's why some of you are so miserable because every time you look at something, you just turn into a judge, hitting a gavel. Guilty. Guilty. And the Bible says there's only one lawgiver and there's only one judge. So God's called us into a place of changing our perceptions and how we see is God sees things way different than we see them. God sees things way different. He sees a lady coming in with a box of ointment and anointing that was a life savings <laughs> and comes in and breaks it and pours it out in a once and for all moment onto Jesus. And Jesus sees that kind of moment and everybody else around the table deemed it as wasteful. And Jesus says, no, that's the benchmark. <laughs> No, 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 that's just, that's just surface level. <laughs> but people at the table say, what a waste. They come in with a budget. That could have been given to the poor. Hmm, hmm. See, the lady understood that anything that she would give to Jesus would be multiplied. And everybody else was figuring out how much should I give and how much should I hold back. Jesus says, no, nothing's wrong with her. Something's wrong with this room. And this will be a memorial that will set the tone and the stage for all eternity. A woman, probably of the night, a sinful woman, comes in and gives it all in a moment. And the seminary professors around the table are trying to figure out how far is too far. <laughs> so Jesus is setting new benchmarks for your life. And he's evaluating our passions. 
He's probing deep into your heart to bring up something of some kind of fear from an experience that you've had that's kept you from making commitments that you know he's called you to keep. And we've got to be faithful when he brings them up to show us, wow, I'm not where I thought I was. Because to be honest, I would like to think I was the lady. <laughs> we always put ourselves as the hero of the story, don't we? <laughs> I would like to pretend I was the lady that put it all on the line. But in that story, you know what? I'm probably at the table yeah. saying, Jesus, will this suffice and get us on to another day where I get to hang out with you a little longer? Is this enough for you to bless and to give the impression that I've surrendered everything to you? See, that's the worst thing about a lukewarm culture. Because when you're in a lukewarm culture, you could just be a little bit above lukewarm and you look on fire. And then you go back into viewing things the way Adam and Eve did, good and evil. Well, I'm not as bad as them. And then we enter in this place of judgment. And all judgment does is make others guilty and make us feel better about why we are the way we are. That in our culture today, lukewarm probably looks red hot revival fire. <laughs> Let's face it. But lukewarm's not the benchmark. Lukewarm's not the benchmark. The benchmark is Him, the benchmark is Jesus. And that's why I love the song today. It was like, get your eyes off of everybody else. Get your eyes off of everything else and then let Jesus become your main focus. Let Jesus become and, and you just looking and beholding upon him until you start to look like him because he is the benchmark. He is the standard. And God wants to give you grace to begin to start a pursuit that begins to pursue the heart of Jesus to where you lose your preconceived notions and your perceptions and you begin to look at Jesus as the one in whom he is, the firstborn among many brethren. That Jesus calls us into his life, not so we would just exalt him as Savior, but that he would be Savior, Lord, friend, Father. The gospel's holistic. And God wants to pull us into his life. Where we might look like him. My daughter, she's got this fascination with rocks, Abigail. And if she sees a rock, it, it might as well be like, like a drug or something. Like gold, that's more positive, thank you. Gold. We'll say gold. 
<laughs> Got to say gold in this house. Okay. <laughs> and she'll grab these rocks and she'll just come up to you. Ock. <laughs> and she's fascinated by them. I mean, she is just absolutely enamored with them. And I'm just like, it's just a rock. <laughs> but to her, it's like this precious entity that she can participate in and hold and appreciate and it becomes her foremost consideration. That she'll get so looking at the rocks, she'll stub her toe and trip. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but if I'm holding something and I trip, that thing's going in the air because I've got to <laughs> catch myself. When my daughter falls with a rock... She falls down. She'll have scrapes all over her hands and bloody spots on her hands because she refuses to let go of the rock when she falls. Her hands are bloody because of a rock. And so she falls down, she falls, and she skins her hands all up. Why? Because she values the rock more than she values the pain she's going to experience by letting it go. And some of you just let go too easy because you're trying to make it too safe. You don't want to feel no more pain. You don't want to feel no more rejection. You don't want to feel no more this. I'm sorry, but we follow a Savior who died in his 30s and died on a cross, an instrument for slaves and terrorists. You're following the bloody footprints of Jesus. There's going to be some pain involved in the process. But what you've got to do is change your perception and have an encounter with him and find out that he's more valuable than the pain you'll experience if you let go. That's what, I'm just amazed how she won't let go of those rocks. And they're all over the house. People talk about stepping on a Lego. I'm like, dude, you ever stepped on a rock in the middle of the night? Just thought, wow, what is that? It's like, God, let me get so a hold of you that whatever stumbling block comes my way, I'll fall and bust my knuckles, but I'm not letting go. <laughs> what did the knuckles look like of the lady who had an issue for 12 years when she had to crawl through a crowd and get to the rock? What did it look like? To everybody standing around, it looked like too much. Huh. She's unclean. Huh. That we could be around Jesus but not actually be touching him. She just gets the hem of his garment. She doesn't even get him. She grabs like a tassel. 
She grabs a tassel. And Jesus said, somebody touched me. And the Bible says crowds are thronging in and out around him. And the disciples say, well, of course somebody touched you. We're all touching you, Jesus. <laughs> this Jesus guy. <laughs> and Jesus said, no, no, no. No, somebody touched me. Because I felt virtue go out. How much power is in God that he's waiting on somebody to get a hold of him and just touch him? How much is there? She touches him, virtue. Virtue comes out. Oh, where are we at here? Okay. We're bringing it down. I promise. Zach, can you help me, Zach and Stacy? Yeah, if you would. I got something that's going to strike the fear. It's going to strike fear into your heart. Let's put that up there on the stage. Yeah. Oh, man, you guys are going to be frightened. Oh, my gosh. I'm scared already. Let's go up here with it, guys, if you can. Yeah, if you can. If not, not a big deal. Yeah. Perfect. No, that's good. You guys can go. Thank you. So I got to thinking about fear today. And what it really is. Fear is false evidence appearing real. From a distance, it looks like it's probable. But upon closer inspection, I find out that it's not real. But the only way I can pursue and find out it's not real is I've got to get close enough to disarm the fear and disarm my own mind and my own intellect to know that I'm walking in something that I'm not supposed to walk into. It's why we can't stop at salvation. You can't stop at being saved. The Bible says renew your mind. Your soul can be saved and your mind can be not renewed. And you'll be just as in a bad shape as when you was lost sometimes. Because you've got just enough to confirm yourself that you're saved, but not enough to walk in a fullness that could be shared with anybody else. that I need for provision. <laughs> and so I thought about it. A bird is only afraid of a scarecrow if it keeps its distance. But God calls us 
to be wise birds. <laughs> and I get being hesitant. You know there's 365 in the King James Version, fear nots in the Bible. Why is that so? Because fear is going to be an inclination that, we gotta, that we're going to have. So I'm not saying that fear just dissolves and we're never afraid. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that fear doesn't inform us on the decisions that we make, but we ask God, God, are you still here? Yeah, okay, then I'm going to take another step. God, God, are you still here? Yes, I'm still here. Okay, I'm going to take another step. God, God, are you still here? Yes, fear not, I am with you. Uh, God, are you still here? Yeah, fear not, I'm still with you. See, fear isn't uh, the, the absence of God in a room. It's the fear of something else there other than myself. That's why when you hear a noise in the middle of the night, you're not afraid because you're by yourself in the dark. You're afraid something's there that's not supposed to be there. So the fear nots in the Bible are like this invitation that God says, I'm still here. Fear not, for I'm with thee. Fear not and be not dismayed. Fear not, so I'm beginning to take steps towards the thing that I'm afraid to deal with. And you know what? When that bird gets right up on the shoulder and the hand doesn't shoo it away, it probably then does like a little peck right here just to, you know, are you asleep? <laughs> Josh was on vacation. He would have been my scarecrow here. That would have been, that would have been better. <laughs> you see Josh in that being still the whole service. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just seen this little praise arm come up during the worship. <laughs> you better be watching, Josh. I'm going to test you. Yeah. No. But then once that bird realizes when he sees a scarecrow, there must be something there that's good. There must be a buried treasure that's yet to be revealed. And I'm not leaving until it sprouts up. Yeah. That fear, this is all it is. And some of you need to start testing your faith. How do you test your faith? Just give it a little. Oh, it's not real. The thing that's been dominating me is not even real. The thing that's kept me from the treasure that God's called me to is not even a real thing. But the only way I come to that conclusion is I have to confront those fears. This is why Satan has to use fear. Do you know why? Because he's not omnipresent like God. He has to set up little scarecrows to keep you out of places because he's got to be over here doing something and then he's got to be over here doing something. See, the reason why the farmer puts up a scarecrow is because he can't stay out there all day watching for birds. He's got to put out some kind of fearful, unreal, stuffed thing to keep you away because he's got other things he's got to do. 
So that's why God keeps saying, fear not. The devil can't say fear not because he's not there all the time. Matter of fact, he's probably not there a lot of the time. Like we flatter ourselves like we get in the devil's attention. Come on. It's like, probably not. But there's something that I kind of figured out when I thought about the scarecrow. Is that when he's on here, you can't really see it. But once I start disarming the fear in my life. It's a cross. (laughs) It's a cross. Yeah, so like, the thing I'm afraid of becomes the provision for my salvation, becomes the provision for my healing, it becomes the provision for me walking in the destiny of my life. Like, it becomes a cross. The Bible says if the demonic powers would have known that crucifying Christ would have saved the world, that they would have crucified everyone who tried to crucify him. That Satan is so dumb compared to the wisdom of God that he can say, throw your best shot at me, throw your most fearful thing, throw your most shameful thing at me, I'm going headlong into it because in there is some treasure. That's where your treasure is. So what cross is God calling you to bear? What do you keep running from? I can tell you that's where the treasure is. What patterns have you started to safeguard your life and to make everything nice, neat, and easy? I'm going to tell you that's where the treasure is. Follow the greatest fear because that's where the greatest treasure is. I'm telling you. You know what my greatest fear growing up was? Rejection and public speaking. <laughs> Worship is easy for me. Matter of fact, when they nudge me and it's like, hey, it's time to preach, I'm like, oh man, I was enjoying that. What happened? I had to confront my greatest fear. Because that's where the treasure is. That's where you find out it ain't about you. It's about the power of God. It's about the anointing of God. That's where you find these things out. I remember the first time I preached a sermon, I was like, what am I doing? I lost sleep for two weeks. I thought, God, I missed it. I'm not called. There's no way a pastor feels this way before he preach. Can't sleep for two weeks. And what pastor gets that kind of notice? But you know what I found about God? God always puts on bigger armor on us than what fits us. Because he's, he's a teacher, not a tailor. Wow. See, we're tailors. I want you to feel comfortable, Terry. And so I'll cut this little thing to fit you just right. So not too much. God's like, here. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, how do I? 
He said, you'll grow into it. You'll grow into it. Because if I don't give you room to grow, you won't exercise your faith. You'll only operate in a level that you know that you could do in your own power. So for two weeks, and so I wrote out this little pitiful sermon. And the first time I preached, it was a Tuesday, it was going to be a Wednesday. Wednesday morning at 3 a.m., he woke me up, said, I want you to preach something else. You ever argued with the Lord? Come on. I said, God, this is my first one, and you're already going to switch me up at 3 a.m.? So I said, God, no, I'm going to go back to sleep. You're going to get what I do. I've already got it. God just kept. Oh. All right, Lord. So I get up at 3 a.m. and scribble something down. Go to work that next morning, getting ready for the evening Wednesday service. And I'm sitting there in the church, and my mind goes blank. And I, and I go, I don't remember what I was going to say. I don't remember the topics. I don't remember this title. I don't remember the scripture. And it was like an outer body experience, okay? I'm just telling you of the fear and the anxiety that came over me. And I thought, oh my gosh, what have I done? This is going to be terrible. So I put in my mind, this is going to be terrible, and they'll never ask me to do it again, so just get through this one, one off. I'm done. So they're introducing me on stage. Mine's still blank. I don't know what I'm going to say. And I'm just like, okay. Um, okay. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen here. So they hand me the microphone. And I get behind the music stand. And I grab the microphone. And when I open my mouth, it's the best I can describe it. It was like somebody dumped a bucket of warm honey on me. Oh, man. Said, whoa, this must be the anointing that I hear about. <laughs> Holy cow, I like this. <laughs> and it was just like clarity came and words came. And there were some, some people in the crowd that were dealing with suicide that responded to the altar call. And there was just like this tremendous moment. And it was like God is just setting the benchmark for my life that anything I call you to, I'm going to give you the anointing. Anything that you're afraid of is a place where there's treasure for you. Anything that, that I've set out for you, there's going to be some resistance, but that resistance is going to work out for your favor because that resistance is going to bring you into a place where you can't do it without God, which puts you in a place of faith, which puts you in a place for the miraculous, which puts you in a place to where only He can do it. And that's what he wants to do in your life. It's time to confront some fears. Yeah. Would you pray with me, Lord? We just thank you, God, for each and every person here, God. God, we ask that you would just, we know what we've been running from, God.